I did. How many of you this week found yourself calling out unto God? Yeah. (laughs) Isn't it amazing that he can field uh, the entire population of the planet and not even break a sweat? If everybody was awake at the same time, let's get the whole world up and everybody call out to God at once. He wouldn't even break a sweat in bringing the answers necessary, bringing the life and the comfort that needed by every single individual. That's amazing, isn't it? Now, if we had time, I would go through the room and say, what happened when you called out to God? Uh, what were the circumstances that pushed you there? We did this a little bit last evening in, this, in the Saturday night celebration, and we had a little more time to have some discussion that way. Um, but I realized that it was putting a few people on the spot that oftentimes when we're calling out or crying out, we're in kind of a personal crisis. And, and that's a good thing. We've come to the end of ourselves, and we now need an answer from heaven. It's hard to get through life when you're always providing the answers yourself. Come on, isn't it true? I make up my answers all day long and think I'm the shell answer man or I know everything. And, and as a pastor, I'm supposed to know everything. And they told me that this morning. They said, you have all the answers, right? Well, I'm living it out like you are. Jeremiah chapter 33 is our text this morning to begin with. Jeremiah 33, and I'll start in verse 1, but we're heading to 3. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the prison, saying, and if you're interested, you can look in chapter 32 later on and find out when he got put in prison and why he'd been there and what had been going on for this little bit of time. Jeremiah had the awesome privilege of being the announcer of God's news and his kingdom on coming to earth and and things that were going to happen to the nation of Israel, how they're going to go into captivity, and it was going to be, they weren't going to be able to withstand their enemies. They were going to be in slavery to another nation for 70 years. And this was his task, was to make those announcements to the king and the leadership of a nation, for which he was constantly rewarded by being thrown into wells, put in prisons, and being rejected, and probably even called names. And here he is saying, while he was still shut up in the prison, which was in the courts of the kings of Judah, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Thus says the Lord who made it, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name, Yahweh, call to me, and I will answer you, and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. There are other versions. You may have one of them sitting in your lap this morning that say it a little bit differently. Call unto me and I will, sh- I will answer you and show you great and inaccessible things. I will show you unsearchable things. I will show you remarkable secrets. The Amplified, of course, really stretches it out. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things, fenced in and hidden, which you do not know. Things you do not distinguish and recognize, things that you do not have knowledge of or understand. The key this morning for us in this passage, I believe, is very simple. Call to me and I will answer you. Call to me and I will answer you. The Hebrew word for call here is kara, to call out to someone, to cry out, to address someone, to shout, to speak out, to proclaim. It often describes calling out loudly in an attempt to get someone's attention. You've done it crossing the parking lot, or I've done it after Peggy was backing out of the driveway. Now, now it's a little, we're a little lazier, aren't we? We just pick up the cell phone and we call them in the car. Or we text them real quick. But it used to be you threw the door and said, hey, hey! Or you saw a person on the other side of the football field and you wanted to get there. Hey! You called out. You wanted to get their attention and so you made an effort to shout it out. The word's used over 700 times in the Old Testament. For all kinds of things, even the point of saying he called his name 
when they were naming their children. They called them this. They called them that. They put a name on them. But here, God is instructing us to cry out to Him. Last week, we discussed this again. And it, it just comes to me, and I'll share this with you, that I was preparing a message for today that just before service last night, I asked Ed to take the video stuff we were going to use and park it because God didn't want to say that yet. He had literally said to me in the office, that's not for now. Park it. You'll get it. I'll get it. Maybe in July. But he brought me right back to this and said, this is what I want to say. This is what I need the church to hear. Cry out. Call to me. We're in a period, we're in a window, we're in a season that comes from heaven that God's heart evidently is wooing us, challenging us. He's got his finger on some of our chests saying, Hey, 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 call out to me. Cry out to me. Why? He wants to see his people acting desperately? Maybe yes. Maybe we do need to come to the end of ourselves and lay it all down and say, I can't do this. I don't have the answers. I think it's a collective bigger picture than most of us have seen as yet, evidently. And God's trying to get our attention and say, there's a larger corporate calling out that needs to happen. There needs to be a collective body cry out to the Father so that He can respond. His desire is to answer. But he can't answer unless we're calling out. Individually we call out. I asked a moment ago how many of you cried out to the Lord this week for something specific. And I would say about 80% of our hands were in the air. And the other 20% were probably just not raising their hands. Right? We call out to God all the time for stuff. Oftentimes we're asking ourselves, is it qualified? Is it worthy? Should I be asking God about this? And I'm going to come to that in a few minutes. Isaiah 58 is another good, uh, just a, another passage that demonstrates this calling out. It's the same word, just another verse, so we can see it clearly. Isaiah 58, 1, Cry aloud, spare not. Or cry aloud and do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Now there were a couple of silver trumpets that were made in the Old Testament. But most of the time they were talking about ram's horns and shofars. And, and if you've ever been, we've been around some shofars, right? And uh, shofars are not necessarily an instrument of music, as we've been instructed and come to understand. They're an instrument of, of warfare and an instrument to call people together and to direct traffic on a large group of people. But it is also used when there was a moment to invoke God. And he's saying, when you call out, when you cry out, Here he's telling them to cry out and tell the people of Israel their sins. But he's saying, lift up your voice, do it like a trumpet. It's hard to play a trumpet soft. You know, we admire the guys that can, you know, make it melodious that way. But generally a trumpet is shrill and sharp and to the point. And often it's used to make an announcement. You know, more so than just playing music. Cry aloud, don't hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Call to me, and I will answer you. And when I answer you, I want to show you great and mighty things that are inaccessible. Things that you can't figure out. They're supernatural insights. I believe this ties us to the New Testament and the callings of the Holy Spirit to move by His gifts among us. To give us Supernatural, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, prophecy, gifts of healings, miracles, signs and wonders, tongues, interpretations. All these things need to be activated in His body. We are His body. We're supposed to be moving as His body. When we come to the place where we just don't know, then it's time to call out. I shared the story last night. There are lots of stories that could be used, but this is a cute one. I think you'll enjoy it. Dr. Dobson. We all love Dr. Dobson, don't we? I do. Raise my kids around him. And uh, he was telling a story of his, his son. Uh, he has two children, a boy and a girl, Ryan and Danae. And he was left in charge at home watching the kids one day. Surely went off somewhere. And dads do it a different way than moms do. Right? 
We just kind of figured they're out there somewhere. Yeah, <clears throat> and we, we get busy doing something, and, and uh, then every now and then we look up and listen and see if we could tell if they're still alive or have they wandered off or something. And, and, uh, and Truant, <laughs> guys, sorry to confess in front of everybody, but so true to fashion, James Dawson said he had gone into a study at home, which I'm sure that's not where the kids play, right? And uh, he was there, and he realized that he just stopped and realized it's too quiet. I should be hearing something. And so he got up and began to just walk slowly through the house. He couldn't find him. He thought, where could they be? Uh, I think he found Danae in her room being quiet, as girls are mostly the obedient ones. They just go in the room and behave. <clears throat> but he couldn't find Ryan. So he finally thought, well, maybe he's gone outside, and that would be really bad, you know, have him wander off in the neighborhood. So he opened the back door, and he could hear this small voice. Couldn't make out quite what he was saying, but he looked around, and there was a, they had a pickup truck in the driveway. And here was Ryan holding onto the tailgate, hanging, dangling. His feet couldn't reach the ground. And he was saying something, but it was muffled because his face was in the, in the trunk or in the tailgate. And uh, so he, he thought, well, I know where he is now, and I know he's okay, and he's not going anywhere. So he just moved slowly, he said, next, till he got close enough, and he could hear him saying, somebody help the boy. Somebody help the boy. Somebody, somebody help the boy. He, the, he hadn't given up yet. He's still speaking in third person. And it wasn't, help me. But he had removed himself and tried to, be a big boy, and yet he wasn't so big. Somebody help the boy. Call out to me. And I will answer. Can you see the picture that God gives us, even in the natural, of the father coming to the rescue? The father who has his ear tuned. Ladies, I can do this with you too. The little machine on the wall doesn't work with the numbers to tell you about your babies. But before we had any kind of thing that, that would do that. And the hallway would be open and the nursery was kind of accessible audio. And I'd be up here going along and hear, and we'd hear, Wah! and I'd see five moms go like this. Just ever so slightly, they'd turn their head and pitch their ear and wait for the second cry. And the second cry would come, and one mom would stand up and the other four would cock their heads back and get right back in the message while one walked down the hall. Uh huh. Call to me. Not only will he answer, but he knows the distinctive of your voice, just like a parent does. And he will come to your tailgate moment and come and answer the cry of somebody help the boy and lift you off to safety. We have to come to the place when we cry out to God to where we understand we're at our wits' end, we are at the end of ourselves. We can rush that point, by the way. We don't have to wait till it's desperate. We can cast off our trust in ourselves immediately. You know, the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Oftentimes, we wait till the very last desperate moment to finally call out to God. We can elect to say, I'm going to call out to God first. It's going to be my primary activity. I'm not going to try and trust myself. I'm not going to wander off and do it on my own. I'm not going to make up my own answers. I'm going to actually select in my thinking... A position that says, I probably don't know the answer to this. And God does. So why don't I abandon trying everything on my own and begin to call out to Him? Psalm 4 verse 3 says, Know that the Lord has set apart for Himself Him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to Him. The Lord has set apart for Himself Him who is godly. And the Lord will hear when I call to Him. Psalm 18, verse 6 says, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from His temple, and my cry came before Him even to His ears. Psalm 34, 15. I like 15, 17, and 18, but I'll get 16 on the way by. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, 
and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Now, there's a word that's not used very often, contrite. When was the last time that came up in one of your conversations? Hey, how's your contract today? This is not a common word. This is more of a Shakespearean, King James-ish kind of a word. But we understand what it means. In context, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. Save such as have a contrite spirit. Isaiah 57, 15 has the same refrain, for thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to to revive the spirit of the humble and revive the heart of the contrite ones. Also Psalm 51, 17, you may recall when David was confronted by Nathan the prophet after he sinned by committing adultery with Bathsheba and then killing her husband or having him killed in the war under Joab's leadership. And Nathan the prophet came and confronted him and David's answer was brilliant. should be the same as ours. As soon as we're confronted with our sin, his response was, I've sinned against the Lord. And as soon as he said in Psalm 50, in, well, in the passage of the, of the Chronicles, when Nathan said, you're the man, and he said, I've sinned, he immediately said, God has forgiven your sin. However, the consequences of your sin are going to follow you for the rest of your life. You're forgiven, but the results of what you've done are going to follow you. It's going to happen right inside your own household. And David writes Psalm 51 as a response of God's confrontation of him in his sin. And when he comes down to verse 17, he says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. A broken heart and a contrite spirit. Those, that attitude of heart stands opposed to pride. Very much opposed to pride. Now, I happen to have one of these study Bibles that has one of those sections in the back that answers all the tough questions, answers the hard questions of the Bible. One of the questions is, what is the greatest sin? You ever ask the question, what the greatest sin is? We tend to think that all sins are the same and they're all sin. That's true. They're all sin. They'll all send you to hell and they'll all keep you out of fellowship with God if they're unrepented for. But my Bible tells me, and I don't need the little section in the back to figure it out, do we? The greatest sin is pride. You find it immediately in heaven with Satan saying, I will do this and I will do that and I'll lift my throne above the Most High and I'll dwell on the East and I will, I will, I will, I will. It's the big I. As we say, I is the middle letter of the word sin. Pride. David understands and the others who are writing and giving us these passages, Isaiah, David that a broken heart and a contrite spirit God will never despise. God is opposed to the proud, the scriptures tell us. James, Peter, Jesus tell us that God resists the the proud but gives His grace to the humble. Now, back to Ryan hanging from the tailgate. Somebody help the boy. See, I think that even in his smallness, he hadn't come to, I'm just, I'm just tearing it apart a little further. He had come to the point where he hadn't decided that it was his fault. Somebody helped the boy. Third person. God wants to bring us to where we're saying, somebody help me. Help me. Cry out. I'm at the tailgate of life. I can't go any further. I can't pull myself up. I can't let myself down. I am not in charge here. I'm hanging on. Just barely. And we have to break pride, to break our heart, become contrite, humble, repentant, and say, God, I can't. But you can. And God's promise is that the broken heart and the contrite spirit, He will never refuse. 
Now, we got to know that Dr. Dobson let his boy down off the bumper, right? Because he's grown up by now. He's gone to college. He's not still hanging on the bumper. He was rescued by his father as you and I need to be rescued by our father. And I believe that God is trying to speak to the church by his spirit saying, call out, cry out to me, lift up your voice, let me hear you so that I can answer. He already has the answer prepared. He's ready to give us the answer. I know there's desperate times where we call out and we cry out and we call out and we cry out and we think the answer is still not coming. We wonder if God's gone deaf. We've heard people say, I pray and the heavens are brass. They're, they're hardened over and my prayers seem to bounce off the ceiling. But that is not what the scriptures teach us. The Bible tells us that God is leaning in like those moms I described when the baby goes, when they perk up. They don't have to run immediately because it might not be theirs. But they'll tune in and say, is that, is that cry for me? And God has the same picture here where he's leaning in and his ear is attentive to our cries. He can discern whether it's a cry that comes from pride or selfish want. And versus a cry that's coming from brokenness and humbleness and dependency. The church needs to become dependent again upon the leader, upon the head. The body needs to come back into submission and let him lead and let him rule and let him direct traffic. Aren't you tired of doing it yourself? It's so tiring to try and manufacture the will of God for my life. It is so draining to try and make my life work so perfectly that it somehow pleases him. Now, I still stand on this, and so do you. We know that the Bible in Isaiah tells us that all our righteousness is like filthy rags. That is such an apt picture. I'm not going to string it out this morning. But I come to this conclusion on my own, uh, for myself, not by myself, but I have to say that on my very best day, I mean my best day, everything's going perfect. I'm doing everything right. I'm walking upright, holy, loving people, not sinning. On my best day, God looks at me and says, Still filthy rags. Now, that doesn't count on my worst days. That's my best day. So what's so good about that? Being able to say, it doesn't matter how wonderful I am. And you all know, you, you tell me I'm wonderful. It's terrible. You flatter me. Tell me how young I look. You tell me all these great things about myself. And, and I go home and tell my boss. Belongs to him. But my best day is a dirty rag. Cash it in. Break my own heart. Lord, humble myself. Pride has the absolute possibility of cutting me off from the answer I seek. Humbling myself. Humbling ourselves. Letting our heart be broken. Breaking it somewhat on our own. And handing it to God. Produces an answer. One of the young ladies, I'll tell her, tell her story the best I can. She's in serving in the nursery this morning and helping all those little wham we were talking about. She came to me last week and said, you know, I was just by myself, and I'll get her story a little bit wrong, but we'll get the point. So I was by myself, and I felt this pressure. And she gestured coming from her left side. It was by myself, I was sitting, and this pressure came, and it was, it was demonic. It was evil. I could sense it. It, it was oppressive. And when she and I discussed oppression. The enemy loves to oppress people. And if you need a definition of oppression scripturally, imagine this, that uh, someone comes along and puts their hand right here in the middle of, the, of your back, just below your neck, and begins to apply pressure. And you don't really understand what they're doing, but you want to yield, to, and you yield, and you begin bending over. And then they apply a little more pressure, and a little more, and a little more. Pretty soon you're looking straight at the ground, and this hand is pressing down on your back, and you realize, now I can't get up, because the pressure is too great. This is oppression that comes from the enemy. It comes from externally, and begins to lay pressure on you to try and buckle you under. 
And I like what the scriptures teach us, that Jesus went about healing everywhere and setting people free who are under the oppression of the devil. So she described this pressure, and I said, that's that oppressive spirit. That's, that, that's, a, that's a dimension that we can't see with our eyes. She goes, well, but I felt it. She's a relatively new believer. I said, what did you do? She said, I began to pray. I began to speak the word. I began to rebuke the enemy. And in that moment, I felt a rush. I can't say I felt a wind, but it was like a wind. And this came from the other side, from her right side now. And she gestures that I felt this rush and this blowing sensation. And as it came down upon my right side, it rushed in front of me and just blew this pressure away. I said, now we're talking about life in the spirit. We're talking about truth in action. We're talking about calling out to God and having Him answer. And she said, I felt like I was sitting in the middle of a demonic and angelic warfare. And it was all about me. My father was having his attention on me. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Call out. God help. There's a pressure in my life. There's an oppression coming upon me. There's a, an unanswerable situation. Lord, I don't know what to do. My heart is broken. I contrite myself before you. I break myself down and I say, I'm hanging on the bumper and I don't know the answer. I'm not going to try and manufacture one. I'm going to call out to you because your word says your ear is inclined to my cry. And you will answer. Come lift me off the tailgate of life right now. Get my nose out of this bumper. Set me free. God, come to my rescue. You sang it this morning. I appreciated that. The worship team, I thanked Ed for that. I called, you answered, and you came to my rescue. We get all the benefits in this life. It's amazing. It's all about Him. But He gives us the benefits. She told me that as this activity was taking place, this pressure from the left and this deliverance from the right, that the Lord spoke to her a passage of Scripture. Now this is the beautiful part. You know the author knows where everything is in the book that he wrote. We don't always know. Remember at the, how many at the community prayer breakfast? Remember the general? He'd go up to his bedroom and cry out to God. And as a general would cry out to God, the Lord would speak to him a passage of Scripture, which he admitted, I knew nothing about. I don't know what Psalm 27 says. I don't know what Psalm 16 says. And he would go and he'd open his Bible. And so in this moment, our friend next door said the Lord spoke to her, Psalm 91. So she began and began to read Psalm 91. Safety. The safety of abiding in the presence of God. She did not have forethought. Most of us in here, I think, would if somebody came to us and said, I'm feeling stress and pressure, we might recommend Psalm 91 as a good passage to read. So you need to go and believe these things. And we're not going to read through the whole thing. But uh, things like verse 9 and 10, Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. He will give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. As she sat and the angelic warfare began. Verse 14, because he has set his love upon me, the Lord speaking now, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And whoosh comes deliverance. Is that beautiful or what? We're not talking about something that happened 40 years ago or 200 years ago. This was last week. This is, and and Hannah, I love your smile. Isn't this exciting? Now, she's in Hannah's cell group. And you gotta, you gotta appreciate Hannah for being a good mentor. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's good when you get results, huh, Hannah? Woo! Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 7. Let's get a little New Testament on this. Let's hear what Jesus has to say in a similar action. Matthew chapter 7. 
Let's go to verse 7. should be easy for us to always remember that. 7-7. Seven, seven. Matthew 7-7. Seven, seven. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Ask to request, to petition. The word usually describes a suppliant making request of someone in higher position, such as an individual asking something from God, or a subject from a king, or a child from a parent, or a beggar from a person of substance. The word denotes insistent asking without qualms, not commanding God, but solidly presenting a requisition whose items he longs to distribute. That's a pretty long definition for a three-letter word, ask. But it puts us in exactly the right position. Those that don't have asking who does have. The servant looking to the master. The child looking to the father. The illustrations are there. We simply need to get in our role And say, I am the child. And you are, that's why we pray, our Father who art in heaven. Our Heavenly Father. Here Jesus teaches, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, doesn't your Father in heaven know how to give better gifts even to you? What's the requisite? Ask. Seek. Knock. Armin Gesswein, personal friend of Billy Graham, and one of the intercessory team for Billy Graham's meetings all over the world. I don't know Billy Graham. He and I have never had lunch or coffee together. But I do know Armin. And we have had coffee together. And so I'm just name dropping so I sound important. Yeah. <laughs> Armin Gesswein was involved in, in revivals in Norway. He was a man of prayer. He, uh, he had a little saying in, that uh, in the Bible, the The plain things are the main things, and the main things are the plain things. He was real easy in his approach to God. He had a friendship with the Lord that was admirable. And when he he took this passage, once we were together, he said, you know this ask, seek, and knock thing isn't that hard. He said, think of it this way. It's like a big target. And out here that outer ring is ask. Put anything you want inside that circle. Just ask a lot. Ask, 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 ask. Ask a lot of things all day long. Just ask. Ask God for this. Ask God for that. Not because you're greedy or because you want a lot of stuff, but ask Him about everything. Lord, what do you think about this? How should I approach that? And what what about it? And He says, you know, if you ask a hundred things in a day and He answers specifically 80 of them, aren't you like 80 to the good? So just ask a lot. That's what ask is about. It's very broad. And if you're asking for the wrong things, he'll even correct you in those points and say, come on, you're asking, like James says, so you can consume it upon your own lusts. Your your focus is a little off. But there's a circle that's this big of ask, 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 ask. And the Bible says, the more you ask, the more you receive. He who asks, receives. It says, now seek. That's a different story. Seek is that inner circle on the target. Seek is when you, you're not just asking for everything. You've decided you're looking for something specific. You ever played hide and seek? You you count. <laughs> I like playing hide and seek with the grandkids because it's somebody's got to count to ten. But it's more fun to stand around and listen before they learn how to count. <laughs> One, two, you know they're just kind of keeping time, but they're not sure what the numbers are yet, and uh, they get to about ten efforts. And they're there, and off they come looking for you. But when you play hide-and-seek, you know the specific action of the game is you've got to go everywhere until you what? Find them. 
Armand Gesswein says the circle that's a little closer in is very specific. You're looking for someone. You're looking for something. You're seeking God for this specific answer. You're not just throwing up a hundred prayers. Now you're zeroing in on something. And that takes a little more effort. You have to exclude asking for a lot of other things because you're focused on what it is you're after. He says, now this knocking thing. Knocks when you come to the door and you know they're in there. Amen? There's smoke coming out the chimney. The lights are on. The dryer vent's blowing. Whatever it is, it tells you that they're in there. Car's in the driveway and you knock. And they're not coming. What do you do? (laughs) Yell. (laughs) Hey, get out here! No. You knock harder probably because maybe they're a little distant. Maybe they're, you know, or you wait and you knock again. But you're persistent. You're knocking because you're on a central part of the target. Now, Armand Gesswein says this is the middle of the target. This is the bullseye prayer. This is when you've eliminated anything and everything else. Lord, I don't really care about anything else right now. I'm after this. And I'm going to stand right here and I'm going to knock on that until you answer. Was it the acronym we use, PUSH, for prayer? Pray until something happens. Push. It takes effort. It's a, it's a strength-building thing. And I hope your relationship with God is very friendly. Uh, sometimes it's not. I know that some people, when they're praying, they think God's trying to ditch them. You know, oh, God, and he's ducking behind corners, and he doesn't want to answer, and he's backing up. I see it more like this. When I'm knocking, and he isn't answering... It's like he's right on the other side of the door saying, keep coming. Just a little more. Come on. I'm building something in you. I'm building trust in you. I'm building character in you. I've got the answer. That's not the problem. The issue is I need to build you up. I need to strengthen you. Have you heard the story? It's just a story about the guy that God, he says, God, what do you want me to do? And he says, see this big rock? There's this huge rock. He says, I want you to move this rock. That's my calling on your life. He looks and he says, that's like, Okay, it's impossible. So every day he comes out and he gets up against the rocket. I mean, all day long he pushes and he pushes and he pushes. And the thing doesn't move. And for months he does this. He says, God, I don't get it. What is it with needing this rock moved? God says, I don't need the rock moved. Look at yourself. Months ago you came out here, you were scrawny, white, weak, puny. Now look it, you're all, you know, you get some of those days you were so sweaty, you took your shirt off, you're tan, you're buff, you're strong. I've been building you up. <laughs> I don't need the rock move. I needed you improved. So now look at you. You're strong. You've got, uh, you're consistent. You're faithful. Look at all the things I've built into your character and your nature. Now the answer I can give like that. The development, I can't just poof on you. I've got to strengthen you. I've got to bring you to the place where you understand knocking has a purpose. And he's like, come on, come on, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. He's backing away maybe, you think, but not so he can evade you. He's only backing up so that he can build you and strengthen you, build your confidence. Can you see it? Now, the question is, do we believe it? That's knock. That's the center part. Jesus' promise. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. I think there's a wisdom in this process of calling out to God. Would it be easier for me to get your attention just after you left the doors or once you were all the way out at the stop sign in the, on, pulling out onto the highway? It would be a lot easier to catch you on the front porch, wouldn't it? I could yell and get you, hey, hey, and you'd be right back. I'd call your name. You'd stop in your tracks. Now, I've tried to catch people that are at the stop sign. and I mean, literally, because there's been a reason. I've been in the middle of the parking lot, running across the parking lot, just screaming like I'm dying or something, and hoping that it gets through their window and they'll figure out that it's me, and just to watch them drive off. You go, that was futile. The Bible says, call him to God, seek him while he's easy to be found. 
Seek him while he's near. My exhortation to us as a body and as to the church, even to those who might be listening online for us, listen, when God approaches us and says, now's the time to cry out. Now is the window of open for call unto me and I will answer you. I am near to bring the answers. He also wants to give us what to cry out for. We've reinstituted prayer first on the first Friday night of each month. They called ourselves together to prayer and corporate crying out. I believe God is trying to instruct the body and tell us that uh, we need to get together more often. Our cell groups, our lighthouses, when we gather, we need to spend some time in prayer. We need to cry out to Him, call out to Him, let Him put the things on our heart that He is he is desirous of and get into agreement with Him by His Spirit. They ask for those things. And then He's going to develop us, but He's very near right now. He's very near. He's leaning in saying, now's the time. It would be much uh, simpler for us. I say easier, maybe not easier, but it would be much simpler for us now to do it when He's close, when He's at the front porch. But if we don't respond, He may begin to move away. He's not trying to ditch us, but he's going to look for responsive hearts. And we may realize a little too late that he's at the edge of the parking lot and we're starting to yell now to try and get him. God, we need an answer. Wouldn't it be easier if he just, when he invites us and says, now's the time that we respond? Am I making sense? Yes. Isaiah 62. In verse 6, Isaiah 62, in verse 6. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. And give him no rest until he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. There are those among us that we tend to know because of their activity that they have answered the call to be watchmen on the walls. What's a watchman? Well, take it right from the scriptures. You build a city, you put a wall around it. Up on the wall you've got towers and corners and walkways and Places where you can actually stand and fight from if you need to defend the city. But you can also stand up on the watch wall and look out and keep track of what's happening out around the place. And you can then, if something needs to be announced, you can turn and announce it inwardly for the safety or for the information of the people that live in the city. And there's a system to that. But a watchman has a responsibility. And uh, we could take it to a military illustration if we wanted, that the guy that's on watch, you want, you want him to be awake out there, even at 3 in the morning. If he's got the watch uh, to keep everybody inside the compound safe, you don't want him out there snoozing on his post. He needs to be awake, and he needs to be watchful. And oftentimes we can see the picture of the, of the uh, soldier with their rifle just moving back and forth at their post, staying awake and watching, watching, keeping an eye out. God says, I put watchmen on the walls here in Isaiah over the city of Jerusalem. They're not supposed to be asleep. They're supposed to be crying out to God to to make this place a place of peace. God tells us when he puts us in a city, we should seek its peace. It's an illustration from those in Jeremiah's time who went into Babylon. He said, while you're there, seek the peace of the city. Because if you seek the peace of the city you're in, then God will bless you in your dwelling there. God wants to bless his people. And that blessing will spill over onto the community around us. But he's calling some of us into this watchman slot. Not everybody's up on the wall all the time, right? But there are those that answer the call. I get emails every now and then saying, you know, are you on the midnight watch? Um, somebody caught me emailing them, you know, post the time when you hit send, right? So you look at people's emails and you wonder, what are they doing up at 2 in the morning, right? Or 12 or whatever it is. So I sent this email off because I was up at that time. And it was one of those night watches. And the, the person I sent the email to the next day sent back said, Oh, were you on the midnight watch last night? And evidently I was. And uh, sending out emails, I was supposed to be praying. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, 
There are watchmen on the walls, and I think that part of what they're doing for us, and this is not just locally but around the world, there are those that are announcing things to us prophetically that we should be listening for. God, how does that apply to us where we live? Now, I might be taking it a little further than you want to go this morning, but I know there are those among us that are acknowledging this. This is what God does for you. And I want to thank you for being a watchman. I want to challenge you during these times to, to remain a watchman on the wall and to help us bring directive, bring instruction, bring insight. Say, this is what I hear God saying. You don't always have it right. You're not always the leaders. Okay, watchman, that's not how it's set. You are called to watch and protect You're called to pray and to intercede. And if I'm speaking to you this morning, I want to encourage you, don't give up your watch. Don't fall asleep on the job. Protect us. Do what God's called you to do. Watchmen understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying it perfectly, but they understand that theirs is not often to say anything. God will show them things, and it's for them to intercede over. It's for them to pray about. It's for them not to build an answer, but to call on heaven for an answer. And they go unthanked most of the time. Because they spend sleepless nights and long days in prayer and intercession on the watch for God's kingdom to come and His will to be done among us. And we get the benefits and sometimes we don't even know it's occurring. So I want to go on record and say thank you to the watchmen on the walls. Those that are giving up of your time. I believe that the scripture applies to you when Jesus says, Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And when you give up your time to pray on behalf of others, you're surrendering your own time, your own life. Things you could have been doing for yourself, you're saying, I deny myself and I'm giving up my time for my friends. And I'm praying for them. I'm praying for them by name. I want to encourage you to get a list of people in your cell group and pray for them every day. Pray for your cell leader every day. Pray for your family members every day. Now, I'm putting a heavy on you. I'm not saying this is a to-do list. I'm saying these are places you can begin with people you love. And you can pray for them. When God expands your prayer life, you'll find at times yourself be praying for your enemies. Now, that's character. That's moving the rock. That's when you're buff (laughs) and tan and you can move the mountain. And God will help you do it. Let me close with Jeremiah 29.11, and you don't even have to turn there. Let me just ask, let me read it to you, and let me ask how many of you have claimed this for yourself. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. How many of you have ever said, man, that's for me? Thank you, Lord, for Jeremiah 29.11. We can even, we hear the verse announced, the address, we go, ah, yeah, 29.11, Jeremiah, that's for me. My question to you this morning is, do you attach verses 12 and 13? They say this, Then you will call upon me, and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me, when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. And he continues, because in context, he's speaking to those who are going into Babylon for 70 years. Cry out to me. I know my thoughts toward you. I think them toward you. They're thoughts of peace. They're not of evil. I want to give you a future and a hope. I want to bring you to the expected end that is a blessing, where your life is a blessing, not only to you, but to everyone around you. And as I do that, you're going to need to be calling upon me, praying to me. You're going to go and pray to me. There are some requisites we need to get aside. We need to still ourselves. We need to humble ourselves and let him lift us up. We need to be in a place where we can hear his voice. He can speak through the malay of life, certainly. He can talk to us instantly on the freeway if we need him to. And if he needs to get to us, he can do it. He's God. He can do it any way he wants. But there is an advantage to those who will still themselves, quiet themselves, get aside and shut everything else off and say, now, Lord, it's you and me. That's why we call it quiet time. It's quiet time. It's set aside time. Um, Last night in our conversation about this, I said, how many of you cried out to the Lord? It was really, and maybe you'll throw in, how many of you, when you're in trouble, Go down by the lake to call on the Lord. Anybody? Drive on down. I guess. <laughs> Look at this. I thought, what do people do when they don't have a lake? <laughs> I mean, because there's an awful lot of us that go down by the lake. Yeah. You know, what we're saying is we're looking for a place of solitude. There's any traffic there. 
There's no freeway. You know, we get away from the foot traffic. We get away from the driving traffic. We get alone, is what we're saying. We need to get to a place where it's quiet. And usually it's sort of in the woods or down by the lake. We like that serenity and that beauty that speaks of His presence. Sometimes we don't have time to do that. Paint the picture on the inside of your eyelids and close your eyes (laughs) to life and see what God is saying to you. Father, we want to learn how to call upon you. You are speaking to us to call upon you, to cry out to you, to go and to pray to you. And your promise is that you will listen. Lord, will you teach us how to seek you and to find you and search with all of our heart? I know the answer is yes. Lord, I want, to, I want you to be found. Not just by me, but by the congregation, by the people of God. You want to be found. Lord, you want to bring us out of any captivity that holds us. You want to bless us as we seek the peace of the city in which we live and have it spill over on it. Lord, there's so much you want to do. And you seem to have limited yourself by asking us to be the agreeing part in prayer. So, Father, forgive us for not being that part. And encourage us this week to become the agreeing voice with you over the things you desire. Father, help us to understand they're not just thoughts racing into our mind about things we don't understand. But they are promptings that come by your spirit to lift up prayer and to ask, 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 ask a lot. Teach us what to seek. And Lord, help us when it comes time to knock to be those who persevere until you answer. Lord, I thank you that you are signaling to us that you are near in this season and that you are giving us an opportunity to respond. Lord, would your grace be sufficient, of course, to help us do exactly that. Help individuals respond, Lord. Pour it over into our lighthouses and our meetings and our gatherings. Let there always be prayers and calling out to you. Help us to lift up our voice in concert to you so that you can display the answers and glorify yourself in our midst. Lord, this morning I would close by asking as you taught us, may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hallelujah. Be blessed and go get them, team.